Hello and welcome to Macro Horizons High Quality Spreads for the week of January 26th. Reactions to the January FOMC. I'm your host, Dan Creter, here with Dan Belton as we discuss our takeaways from the January Fed meeting. Each week, we offer our view on credit spreads, ranging from the highest quality sectors such as agencies and SSAs to investment-grade corporates. We also focus on U.S. dollar swap spreads and all the factors that entails, including funding markets, cross-currency markets, and the transition from LIBOR to SOFR. The topics that come up most frequently in conversations with clients and listeners form the basis for each episode, so please don't hesitate to reach out to us with questions or topics you would like to hear discussed. We can be found on Bloomberg or emailed directly at dan.creter, K-R-I-E-T-E-R, at bmo.com. We value and greatly appreciate your input. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. All right, Dan, excited to be back here with another Reactions to the FOMC edition of our High Quality Spreads podcast. And uh, I guess we will start with the release itself, the statement, as well as the principles of balance sheet normalization appendix that they released. Why don't you take us through your thoughts on that? Yeah, so the statement I thought was pretty consensus. I wasn't expecting much from the statement. The only thing that I highlighted was they got rid of the language talking about maintaining the target range until labor market conditions have reached levels consistent with full employment and just said that a rate hike is soon to be appropriate, kind of implying that we are at or very near full employment. That wasn't unexpected, but that was the only meaningful change I saw in the statement. As for the principles for reducing the size of the balance sheet, there wasn't a whole lot there. They laid out some of the principles. None of them, I thought, were remotely surprising. The only one that maybe could have come as a surprise was the committee saying that it intended to hold primarily Treasury Securities and SOMA moving away from MBS and in holding just treasuries during normal periods. Again, that was part of at least my base case. I'm curious to hear if you would agree with that. Yeah, similar takeaways. I guess one other thing from the principles worth noting was at least some guidance around whether or not they will sell. I have seen some discussion around the bullet point that reads the committee intends to reduce the Federal Reserve Securities Holdings over time in a predictable manner, primarily by adjusting the amounts reinvested of principal payments received, blah, 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 blah. I mean, it certainly says to me they probably won't sell. That doesn't represent new information of any kind. I think no one was expecting selling, but it does leave the door open to me. I don't think that says that they definitely won't sell ever. They've never put themselves in that box anyways. So sort of like what you were alluding to with the SOMA portfolio being primarily comprised of treasuries, I guess good to see it in writing, but what we would have expected anyways. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that's probably all the time we need to spend on either one of those two things. Obviously, the market agrees we didn't have much market reaction to either the statement or the principles. Yeah, in fact, there was a little bit of a relief rally on the release of this statement. We saw CDX narrow about a basis point. That was reversed, obviously, when the press conference started, but a little bit of a relief rally from just the release of the materials. Yeah, so let's dive into the press conference then. I mean, obviously, the market has had a hawkish read on it. Equities are now down 38 on the S&P, and we've had a much larger peak to trough swing from there. Obviously, the market is reading it as hawkish, I read it as hawkish too, but I guess to start the conversation, my sheet of notes following this press conference might be smaller than any of the press conferences I can remember, at least in recent memory. Yeah, I'm with you there. I didn't feel like there was a whole lot to take away. I thought if I had to choose one, I would say it's skewed hawkish, but I didn't feel like it was overly hawkish. I think 
The main comment that I took away from this meeting was Chair Powell saying that I think there's plenty of room to raise rates without threatening the labor market. That to me is maybe incrementally hawkish. Everything else that I think the market read as hawkish, at least as far as I could tell, was more about Powell not committing to certain things that he said the committee hadn't made a decision about yet. For instance, the possibility of moving at consecutive meetings or at every meeting this year, and then the 50 basis point hike. He wasn't committing to taking those things off the table. But to me, that was more of a, we haven't talked about that. Why would we put ourselves in a box by saying, no, these things aren't going to happen? So I didn't view those as especially hawkish. But what did you think? Yeah, I'm going to disagree with you here. What you're describing that we haven't talked about it really, so why would I make any type of statement on it? That's how I would characterize the chair's response to all of the many questions that came his way regarding balance sheet normalization. There were multiples, and he really said nothing about it the entire time. When he got asked questions, and there were at least two or three of them regarding the potential for a faster pace of liftoff, so either raising every meeting or the potential for 50 basis point hike, yes, he didn't rule it out. So yes, I agree with that, and I don't think he ever would rule it out. But he seemed to imply that it was more likely to me than I at least thought. Each time he was prompted with a question for that, he would say, we don't know yet, blah, blah. But then he would say, but we are aware that this time is different. And he would go into detail multiple times talking about how this time is different, inflation's much higher, there was 2% or less, well, actually less, at the beginning of the last hiking campaign, and now we're at 7% or whatever it is. So laying out almost to me the argument for why those things are on the table. So when the question was, will you consider those things? He didn't say yes, but he implied to me that that was something that they were looking at and would certainly at least be on the table. So not just not ruling it out, but implying to me at least, not in saying in so many words, but implying to me that those things were potentially more likely than maybe the market thought. Yeah, and I don't disagree with that. But I think one thing that's different this time around, at least as opposed to maybe in 2017 to 2019 when the Fed was hiking, Powell has an incentive here to, I think, talk up the market's expectations of rate hikes because, in a sense, the market is then doing its work for the Fed. So by leaving those things on the table, consecutive rate hikes or a 50 basis point move, that sort of works to Powell's advantage. So that's another reason to think he has an incentive to leave those things on the table or talk up the possibility, even if it's not something the Fed has actually talked about. I mean, you make a good point there. He actually said as much in the press conference today he was asked a question about financial market volatility, whether or not they found that alarming, or as the reporter even said, is it somewhat desirable? And he answered the question by saying, financial conditions matter, but it appears that our communication channel is working. The market's pricing in more hikes, it's pricing in normalization. Financial conditions are reflecting what we're doing. So basically saying that the market's reaction is what they want, and that monetary policy works through expectations, and those expectations are being priced into financial markets in alignment with what the Fed wants. So I guess that's actually supportive of your point, that the market is going to do the lifting for the Fed, so he doesn't actually have to raise rates 50 basis points or have to raise rates every meeting. The market will potentially price that possibly in for him. I get the argument there. But it's certainly not what risk assets were looking for, I guess we can say that. It's funny. It reminded me a lot of a press conference that he had at the beginning of his first term where he made, I think, what he would view as a mistake in hindsight, saying when the Fed had begun raising rates during the last cycle, that we were a long way from neutral. And that sparked a lot of market volatility that I think the Fed wishes they could have back. It's sort of similar now when he made that comment about 
we could hike a lot and it wouldn't impact the labor market negatively. But this time around, the Fed is asking for the market to take seriously the threat of more hikes, whereas last time around, it really wasn't, just due to the difference in inflation picture and to an extent, economic growth. Yeah. And they're sort of having to drag the market along, kicking and screaming. And maybe not all markets here, but risk assets. I mean, even just the interpretation of will you rule out 50 basis point hikes and the answer to that question being no, that comes off as hawkish. When really, when you take a step back and look at it logically, of course, he's never going to rule anything out. I don't even know if he'd rule out 150 basis point hikes. The central bank is just not going to rule something out. But we as a market have become so trained to expect the doves outdoving each other at every given opportunity that even just a slightly hawkish, if you even want to call it that, sentiment by not ruling out a 50 basis point hike is taken poorly by risk assets. And it actually goes a long way to arguing what we've been talking about in our dailies here is that risk assets, despite the move in treasuries, despite the widening we've gotten this year, it's still not been large enough for this fundamental move. We can talk about that a bit more in the podcast later when we talk a bit about spreads, but it is just an interesting observation to me to look at something as seeming harmless as not ruling out a 50 basis point hike and the effect that had on risk assets. But I will also, moving on to the next note I had here from the press conference, maybe it shouldn't come as a big surprise given the Fed coming off as hawkish, but it did seem like Powell was a lot more cautious to me on inflation at this meeting than he was even in December, more explicitly acknowledging the risk that inflation could be here to stay, that they thought it would moderate sooner than it has, and that the odds are increasing that that moderation may not come as quickly, even as they currently expect. He said that if he was releasing an SAP today, his dot would probably be a few tenths higher. And I know that was something we were looking at heading into the meeting. What did the Fed think about the evolution of inflation? And it seemed to me like he was talking a confident game, but it did seem like his confidence was much lower to me. How did you read that? Yeah, I thought that was the next most important takeaway from this meeting. Going into this, I thought that even though Powell retired, quote unquote, the word transitory from the Fed's vocabulary late last year, I thought that part of him still believed that inflation was transitory. And maybe he still does even now, but he acknowledged that the inflation picture has gotten worse than it was in December. And so I view that as an interesting development. He's becoming more concerned about inflation. And that's another reason I think you could read this FOMC as skewing hawkish. If Powell does believe that inflation's worse than he did last month, that's going to require some more aggressive policy response on the Fed. Yeah, exactly. I like the way you put that, because in December, had you asked me after the meeting, what does Chair Powell think about the path of inflation? I would have told you for sure he expects it to moderate probably sometime around the first half of 2022, maybe shortly thereafter. And I think he said as much at one of those meetings. Maybe he did. Okay, so then that would be a strong reason for me to have that opinion. <laughs> but he didn't say that today for sure. And he definitely seemed nervous about it. You know, he brought up like, oh, a lot of forecasters think this, like almost safety among numbers. And he'd allude to a base case, that the FOMC has a base case for inflation, but we have to be prepared for all other outcomes. And it does seem like he's taking increasingly steps to prepare for those other outcomes and less confidence in that base case. I'm not even sure what that base case is anymore. So it definitely does seem to be that he and the committee as a whole may be moving more hawkishly because they are less confident on the view on inflation. So that almost as much as the 50 basis point more frequent hikes thing. I think that's almost the other reason to be walking away from this meeting with a more hawkish interpretation. 
We alluded to this a little bit earlier, talking about how the Fed thought that the communication was being reflected well in financial markets. I just had a bit of an addition of nuance there. We're actually talking about the last question. He got a question over asset bubbles, and he came up pretty strongly, in my opinion, that there really wasn't much concern over asset bubbles. He said maybe prices are somewhat elevated, but that they don't represent a significant threat to financial stability. I, you know, I think when you just combine those two things, maybe a little obvious here, but that's Powell really saying that he's not concerned about a 9 to 10% drop in stocks. And it seems to me that that was an indirect way of saying, to me at least, that unless we get another drastic leg down in risk assets, you're not going to see that impacting Fed policy or the formulation of Fed policy. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, stepping back, that's really the reason that the Fed should strive to be independent, right? We should have a Fed that's willing to stomach a deterioration in financial asset prices for the betterment of its dual mandate. And I think that's all he was saying. So yeah, not a surprise, but something that I think is worth pointing out. Okay. And then I'll just wrap up my last note. Like I said, had uh, way less notes this time around. It seemed like a lot of the questions are very similar in nature. But my last note was just on balance sheet normalization. We probably don't have to spend really much or any time here. My only takeaway was there really wasn't much of a takeaway. He even had a pretty interesting question from Leisman, I thought, where Leisman pointed out something that was maybe seemingly contradictory between the principles that the Fed released and what Chair Powell said early in the press conference. He said something to the effect of, balance sheet normalization is going to run in the background. But then the principal said that they would adjust the path of normalization to incoming data. And Leishman basically asked, what is the reaction function of normalization to changes in the macroeconomic outlook? And we basically got no answer. And also multiple questions and not just Leishman's about normalization that were also given no answer. So I actually walked away with the perception that the Fed actually has not answered these questions at all yet, and that they have really, honestly, just to this point, been laying out the key factors around the issue. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was interesting that he was very noncommittal on that. He was noncommittal about a lot of things today. That was one of my big takeaways. And I think to that point, he talked a lot about the Fed being nimble and being guided by the data and the outlook. That to me is really a reminder that we are in the midst now of a hiking cycle. It seems like something the Fed always busts out when they are hiking rates, that we're going to be data dependent, that we're not on a preset course and we're going to take it as it comes. And we're hiking rates probably in March, and then we'll see where we are at that point. So a lot of these questions that Powell got, I thought he was really noncommittal. He didn't have a lot of great answers for them. I felt like he often went back to that refrain of, we haven't had these conversations, we haven't made these decisions yet. Yeah, but when he was answering questions about 50 beep hikes, he had that sort of, we know it's different this time mentality, like implying that they were on the table. When it was about balance sheet normalization, it was just, we have no idea. So I could be reading too much into the tea leaves here, but to me, it implied that the Fed might be a little more cautious about deploying that tool in full force. They were certainly going to do it. It's on the table, but it didn't strike me. Like Leesman asked, is it going to be no earlier than the summer? And he wouldn't even commit to that. But it just seemed to me that balance sheet normalization, it's something they're not taking lightly. They're going to be very thorough with it, which that probably leaves us with the consensus and expectations for September or early fall. That's probably where it remains. Just trying to say that it obviously it's something the Fed is going to be deliberate with. And, you know, you mentioned the Fed highlighting the word nimble, humble as well. I don't remember doing humble before, but I want to focus on nimble because it's that nimbleness I want to zero in on, something we've talked about, certainly in our private conversations. What will the Fed do if they 
begin this hiking campaign and inflation does moderate. Let's say if we get off a 25 or even a 50 basis point hike at March and then another one in June, let's say we're 50 to 75 basis points higher after the June meeting and we're talking about balance sheet normalization. Well, what then happens if inflation in the second half of the year really kind of falls off a cliff? Some of those supply constraints he was talking about improve. I don't need to get into the details here. Let's just inflation does moderate as many expected to. What does the Fed then do? Because that's an interesting spot for the Fed, and that's really a tough question to answer. Yeah, I think that is the way that I'm thinking about it. That's one of the big unknowns with respect to the rest of the year outlook, is if we do get a moderation in inflation, like you just said, what does the Fed's reaction function look like? It definitely removes a lot of the urgency with respect to Fed rate increases, but does that mean they stop? I don't think so. I think they probably go to a level that they had deemed neutral. So last time they found that I think 175 was the rate that they stayed at after those three insurance cuts they took in 2019. It'll be interesting to see what that terminal rate is, but it probably won't be as high as it would have been if we had the Fed having to aggressively start to move and wipe out this inflation. Yeah, 175 is the rate that they stayed at, but they weren't there very long. They got to 175, then the repo market event happened, and then the pandemic arrived. It's not clear to me that 175 was the actual terminal rate. Maybe it was. It's really hard to say. I think that if inflation really does fall off of the table, and the Fed has only hiked two, three times, I agree there is an historical precedent for it. But I think the Fed would then maybe have to pause the path of rate hikes now, you know what? It's hard to even say now, but the answer to that question may be the defining one for credit spreads later in the year. Because obviously, if inflation doesn't moderate, if, if we have inflation that continues to stay at 7% or continue to accelerate, which is a risk that the chair highlighted today, if that continues to happen, I think the path for credit spreads is pretty obvious, right? They're going to widen and they're going to widen a lot. And our current targets are not reflecting that, and probably no one's are. But Assuming that inflation does moderate to the point where the Fed has to start trying to figure out what that path is going to be, I think that will be the key question. But we can leave that for future episodes. I guess before moving on to our final topic, Dan, did you have anything else that we haven't talked about yet that you wanted to uh, highlight? No, I think we covered the main ones for me. It was definitely not as eventful as, as other Fed meetings recently have been. Well, at least it wasn't as broad. I think it was eventful. Just there wasn't a large variety of topics discussed. It was all sort of the same theme. So before we wrap up the podcast here, why don't we just spend a minute here talking about credit spreads, where we've come so far year to date, and how you think they look through the context of today's Fed meeting? Because we've widened 10 basis points so far this year, but we have stocks that are down around 10%. We have a significant improvement in financial stress and really spreads sort of outperforming, at least along that metric, that spreads, given this increase in financial stress, looking at the correlation between spreads and financial stress over the last 10 years, we would have expected a more significant backup. We haven't gotten that yet. So in that context, Dan, how are you approaching credit spreads now? Are you getting to the point where you think this is a buying opportunity or does the widening have legs to go? Yeah. So I think given the sell-off in risk assets broadly, the performance in credit spreads has been about what we would expect. So I looked at equity market returns year to date. And as of this morning, they were down about 7% in the S&P. Over the past five years, that implies a spread widening of about eight or nine basis points, which is really what we were at this morning. 
So I think that's about fair in terms of how they've performed. I would have expected a little bit more resilience. Credit spreads were resilient at the beginning part of the year, but they've started to leak wider more recently. As for my outlook, I'm not looking to get overweight credit at this point. I think there's still a lot more room to go. When we looked last week at our fair value model for credit, we estimated that there was about 20 basis points of backup that we could see before spreads were more in line with fundamentals. And so I think we could see bouts of spread narrowing that are short-lived in the near term, but I wouldn't be initiating long positions in credit at least until we get a more substantial backup or an improvement in fundamentals that dictates that spreads are actually in line with where they should be trading. What about you? Yeah, I think, you know, to put it in a nutshell, spreads are still narrow historically, like versus on an outright basis or as a percentage of treasuries, it's still narrower than average over just about any time period you're looking at. And I don't know that I think that that fits with the current macroeconomic environment. Inflation at levels we haven't seen in decades and uncertainty surrounding the path of normalization extremely high and potentially, you know, dealing with something we have not dealt with, certainly in our careers, which is the Fed not basically coming to the rescue anytime financial conditions get bad. Basically, for 20 plus years now, anytime there was significant distress in any pocket of the economy, the Fed would come in and soothe markets. That may be broken here if inflation is going to be sustainably higher. We might actually have a downgrade default wave. Powell talked about how defaults have been very low in business loans and things. But I'm not sure how long that will remain true if rates really go up significantly higher and the Fed won't be there potentially to ride to the rescue. So whatever, these are long-term, slow-moving trends. But there is risk out there from a macro perspective, and that's to say nothing of geopolitical concerns, things like that, that are always sort of omnipresent. But there's a lot of risk out there. And for me, spreads being narrower than average relative to treasuries really just doesn't make sense here. So we're at 56% or so yield enhancement to treasuries on the broad IG index, at least you know going into today. Average levels are around 63, 64%. That implies another widening of 12 basis points just to get us to where we'd be maybe considered historically average. And obviously rates are higher since then. So I'm with you. I wouldn't be looking to get overweight. Obviously, there could be you know periods of temporary narrowing for sure. But I think that this widening definitely still has legs. Anything else, Dan, before we wrap up? No, I think that covers it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Macro Horizons. Please visit us at bmocm.com slash macrohorizons. As we aspire to keep our strategy efforts as interactive as possible, we'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. Please email us at daniel.belton, B-E-L-T-O-N, at bmo.com. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. This show is supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show has been edited and produced by Puddle Creative. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. 
does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise it constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal. 